0: When it comes to Mary Magdalene, either she was a prostitute, as we often say, or we owe her a huge apology for accusing her of something she didn't do for the last 1,400 years. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I want us to think biblically about, I guess, reading the Bible, or how tradition affects how we read the bible ultimately obviously we're going to be talking about mary magdalene but within the context of that or as you're listening to this and we're going through it what i want you to really be hearing is just how it is that we read the bible and ultimately how we assume things or believe things just because we've heard them and then insert those into what we're reading so like i said though we're going to be talking about mary magdalene for those who may not be aware necessarily of who she is quick rundown um you know i'm recording this before easter and the obviously this is a good topic to discuss anytime but part of christ's uh, death burial and resurrection uh, we have a character there named mary magdalene she was present at the cross and she was also the first one to see him after his resurrection So her name is gonna be brought up in probably one or two churches this weekend. And tradition has it that amongst other things that we know about her, she was a prostitute. And so what I want us to look at today is simply, does God's word give us a good reason to believe she was a prostitute? Either because it explicitly says, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, or because it implies it by the weight of evidence. And if not, I want us to look at why we call her that and look at the origins that may be at the root of why today we call Mary Magdalene a prostitute. Now, this is all going to start by talking about why the Bible is a terrible piece of fiction. Now, I'm a big fan of fiction. I like art authors who can craft a really good story that can showcase their skills on developing characters and backgrounds for their worlds that they create and things like that. And sort of the base level thing that any good author is going to do is that they are not going to confuse their reader unnecessarily. And one of the ways you don't want to confuse your reader is by making them not know who different characters are. Now there's different ways to distinguish how different characters are one is how they speak one is physical descriptions but the obvious way to designate one character from another is by their names now because the bible is not fabricated it's not made up it is actually recorded history our characters can get a little bit confused at times because we often have different characters with exactly the same names just like Today, in my own church, for example, I am married to a woman named Amanda, which is not altogether an uncommon name, and so things can get, you know, a little dicey when I'm talking about Amanda or addressing someone named Amanda when two of them are around. And the Bible does the same thing, where we have several characters that share a similar name, and it can be sometimes easy to confuse them. And an example of this is Judas. Nobody wants to be a Judas, right? To, to accuse someone of being Judas is to accuse them of being a traitor, a backstabber, someone who contributed to the death of our Lord. However, there's more than one Judas in the Bible, and John 14, even designates this by saying that Judas, and then parentheses it says, not Iscariot, because we're all familiar with Judas Iscariot, but... John here is writing about a man named Judas and takes pains to say, hey, this isn't that Judas, not Judas Iscariot. And the Judas he's actually talking about is, as we understand it, Christ's half-brother, so a son of Mary and Joseph, and the author of the short letter of Jude. Uh, We see similar names again when it comes to John You would think in the past 2,000 years, maybe this name would fall out of favor, but I guess it's just a solid one, because we have John, who acts as the forerunner for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We sometimes call him John the Baptist. He is the one who baptized Christ, uh, and he is beheaded in Matthew 14, verses 1 through 11. We see that um, Herod's wife's mom had a bit of a beef with John the Baptist, and so convinced her daughter to ask Herod to behead John and bring his head on a platter, which is weird, but there it is. And so he, uh, John was killed in about probably 28 AD, but then 60 years later, we get a guy named John writing the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Book of Revelation. And again, these can be confusing when we're just talking about John, which is why we distinguish them as John the Apostle, as opposed to John the Baptist. And we see um, basically this exact same thing when it comes to Mary, and that she is, if you will, a Mary amongst many Marys. So when it comes to the name of Mary in the Bible, we have the very obvious Mary, mother of Jesus. However, we also have a Mary who is the sister of Martha. If you remember the story about how Martha was busy in the kitchen and complaining about how Mary was sitting and learning at the feet of Christ. This is the same Mary and Martha in John 11 where their brother Lazarus died and they came to Christ. And we know that Lazarus was brought back from the dead. But then we have potentially a third Mary named Mary Magdalene and that's who we're talking about today. And what I want to look at is simply purely what does the Bible actually tell us about this specific person named Mary Magdalene? And I want us to look at that and not all the Marys because it God's word takes pains to actually point out and use her last name. As if to separate her from the other cast of Mary's. So, a few things that we know about Mary Magdalene is that she was a traveling companion of Christ and the apostles who Jesus had healed from seven demons. We can see this in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I'll just pick up in the middle of it. It says, And the twelve were with him, Jesus Christ. "...and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out." So here again, we know that she was at one time possessed by demons. Seven, to be specific. We also know that she supported Christ's ministry, uh, and very likely we assume that she supported it financially. It says in Matthew 27, verses 55 to 56, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So in some way, she would minister to Christ. And again, that's where I say we assume it would have been a financial means. Uh, we also see that she was present with christ when he died on the cross for the sins of the world in john nineteen twenty-five, it says but standing by the cross of jesus were his mother and his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene so she was present when christ died but she was also present at his resurrection in fact she was the very first one now The bigger context of this is in John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, but for sake of time, I'm just going to read verses 1, 16, and 18. But again, obviously, go get the fuller story to see uh, kind of what is almost a humorous story of her mourning Christ's death and Christ kind of looking at her quizzically. But anyway, so John chapter 20, verses 1, 16, and 18 says... Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And we jump ahead to 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and, an Ar- and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And then in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So that is the story of Mary Magdalene in the Bible, a woman who was possessed by spirits. Christ had healed her, taken the spirits out. As a result, she became a follower of Jesus Christ, supporting him in some way, likely financially, and was present with him at his death, was the first to see him at his resurrection and went to actually announce that to the other disciples. But you notice something's missing. We have no mention here of her being a prostitute. So how is it then that we can read this very specifics about Mary Magdalene having no mention of prostitution, and yet we all assume that she was a prostitute? Well, we often get that from another story we see in Christ's earthly ministry. And this is in Luke chapter seven, verses 36 to 50. Again, for sake of time, I will not be reading the full thing, but would encourage you to pause and read the full context for yourself. But I'm going to read Luke chapter seven, verses 37 to 39. And then I will jump ahead to verse 47, just to give us the context of where we accuse Mary Magdalene of prostitution. So it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Therefore, And then Christ, when he's speaking to her, says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So the big takeaway here for our discussion is that it talks about a woman of the city who was a sinner. And we think, oh, okay, a woman who lives in the city who's sinful. Well, For all of us who live in cities, we know that there are plenty of sinful men and women in them. But there's more at play here with the language used. So a woman of the city and then this Pharisee being disgusted and saying that, you know, if if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is. We easily piece together that this woman was a prostitute. And that, you know, her actions, as we see in the story, are because she had been forgiven of so much. She loved Christ even more because she had been so deep in sin that for Christ to forgive all of that, she responded, as I hope we do, in loving him all the more because of what he has forgiven and saved us from. But here's what we need to to notice. And here is where this tradition or this kind of the, the bigger idea of this episode comes into play is that we assume, we always assume that this woman is Mary Magdalene, the woman who had been possessed of seven demons and had been healed. We assume that this unnamed prostitute is actually named Mary Magdalene. Why? Biblically speaking, we don't have a reason now. Is it possible? Sure. Because either. She could have turned to prostitution because she was demon-possessed, although as we understand demon-possession, anyone who is demon-possessed may not have the wherewithal, the mental capacity or the self-control to actually engage in any kind of business because people who are demon-possessed, as we see, are very much out of their minds. It's also possible that she had become demon-possessed because she was in so much sin as a prostitute and maybe other things that had been part of her pre-conversion story, that she was maybe easy prey or was given easy access to demon possession. There are some maybes there that could contribute to her, yes, being the demon or the prostitute that we see in this story. But realistically, there is nothing that is genuinely linking Mary Magdalene, who was possessed of demons and supported Jesus Christ financially and became his follower to this prostitute who realized because she had been forgiven for so much that she was even more in love with Jesus Christ. So then we probably want to ask ourselves, where on earth does this idea come from? Because we all repeat it. We, we hear it repeated from the pulpit. We hear it in our conversations. We think of it ourselves when we read about either Mary Magdalene or this woman of the city. We see it in books. We see it in devotion materials. Everyone talks about Mary Magdalene as though she was a prostitute. But if it's not in God's word, how is this such a part of our consciousness that we don't even know where we got it ourselves or how it is that we came to the conclusion I would argue that we can actually thank a pope from the sixth century for this long-standing confusion. So, from what I can tell, the earliest record we have of some kind of declarative statement or a, an authoritative teaching on Mary Magdalene being linked to this prostitute comes from Pope Gregory I in the late sixth century. And you can read kind of the bigger statement of this on your own. I will have a link to my article in the show notes, as always, and that will have within it a link to this. But during one sermon named Homily 33, a homily was basically a sermon back then, uh, Pope Gregory the I declared that Mary Magdalene was officially... All the, all the non-virgin Marys that we see, as well as this unnamed prostitute in Luke chapter seven who washed Christ's feet. So the, the quote from him, and this was obviously said in Latin because that's how they did it back then, but uh, this was translated uh, from what I found on arthistory.net, but he said, translated to English, we believe that this woman, Mary Magdalene, is Luke's female sinner, the woman John calls Mary, and that Mary, from whom Mark says seven demons were cast out. So here we have someone who isn't making a biblical argument, but simply saying we believe that Luke's female sinner, Mary, the sister of Martha, and Mary Magdalene, who had been cured of seven demons, are all the exact same person. And from there, I truly believe that us today who are saying Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, are actually just regurgitating something that Pope Gregory I said back in the 6th century. Now, how on earth does that happen? Because it has been, you know, a few years since he first made that statement. Well, it really boils down to time and tradition, basically working together to take something that people assumed and making it part of what seems to be truly taught now how does this actually happen how did one man's statement in a sermon turn into something that we still today outside of the roman catholic church still repeat that teaching well i've written a lot in the past about how we went from the apostles to the Catholic Church and how the Catholic Church grew in power, grew away from Christ, and that after many centuries, men like Martin Luther broke from the Catholic Church and kind of recaptured the reality of what Scripture is, how salvation works, and things like that. And that is where we find ourselves today as Protestants, those who would reject, essentially, the Roman Catholic Church and even the Greek Orthodox Church. There's a lot that could be said there. This That is not what this episode is about. So if you are curious, again, that is linked in my show notes as well. But for our purposes, when we understand church history, it actually doesn't become too terribly surprising how a 6th century teaching from a pope could find its way into modern Protestant beliefs. Again, I'm not going to get into the whole nitty gritty of church history, but here is how I would assume it could very easily happen. So we obviously start with the Pope making this statement in his sermon. From there, because the Pope said it, that is then a sort of official doctrine. And so everyone following him would talk about Mary Magdalene as though she encompassed all the Marys that we see in the Bible that aren't the Virgin Mary. So Mary Magdalene was also the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and she was also this unnamed prostitute. people just keep talking about her on and on as though these things are facts and so whenever this prostitute is brought up we give her the name mary magdalene when we talk about mary magdalene we call her a prostitute and it gets repeated and repeated often and it just becomes part of the religious consciousness of that day well you spend about a thousand years doing that and then we come to the time of martin luther and the other reformers now let's be realistic at the time whenever they were breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, they had some pretty big fish to fry. There were a lot of very critical eternity impacting doctrines that they really had to hammer out and understand. Salvation itself being the biggest among them. What scripture is, how salvation works, and why people are saved. And so in that time when they're breaking from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, we can understand how the true identity of Mary Magdalene may have been just a little low on their list of priorities. Over time, over the next several centuries, on and on, Christians are having to hammer out very important doctrines that are either a rejection of long standing traditions or as a response to some heresies or poor understandings that are popping up in modern day Christianity. And so, again, the identity of Mary Magdalene is going to be a thing that a lot of people just aren't going to dig into or worry about. There were, of course, people who understood that she was not the same. It's not like this you know, big cover-up where everyone was brainwashed. But on the whole, your average Christian is going to maybe become a pastor, say some things about Mary from the pulpit, other Christians are going to hear it, assume it's true, repeat it, and unless someone stands up and declaratively counters this understanding of Mary, it's just something that's going to keep being repeated over and over again over this very long period of time. And so I think that's where we find ourselves today, is that the identity of this unnamed prostitute and Mary Magdalene being linked is not something that is super important. I mean, I kind of said that from the beginning of this episode. It's not this critical thing. It doesn't impact doctrine, salvation. Christians can agree to disagree in a way. You know, I, I can fellowship with someone who thinks that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute without anything in our relationship being impacted. However, this idea of Mary Magdalene the prostitute is so ingrained in our church culture and our tradition that we now, today, just automatically fill her name in. We talk about Mary Magdalene, we offhandedly mention that she was a prostitute. When we read the story about this prostitute wiping her her tears and using her hair to clean Christ's feet, we say, oh, by the way, her name was Mary Magdalene, and we just move on. It's not a huge deal, but it is a thing that we do. We are inserting a church tradition and declaring it as though it's biblical truth. But as I hope we've seen, if we're staying true to God's word, if we did not have this declarative statement of a pope that then got filtered in to christian truth so much so that we assumed that tradition was fact without that we would have no way to really read the gospels and obviously make the connection of this unnamed prostitute being mary magdalene it requires us being informed and making assumptions based on a tradition that we've heard from our parents our pastors wherever but one that we see isn't biblical so now the question that we should probably be asking is so what, right? It is a, this is a very low stakes biblical interpretation. This is something that, again, who cares? I can fellowship with someone and there's, probably, there's plenty of people out there. I have no idea where they stand on Mary Magdalene. I know where they stand on Christ. I know where they stand on the authoritativeness of God's word. I have no idea where they fall on the identity of Mary Magdalene or the unnamed prostitute because it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a factoid, it's just a thing that might come up. But here's why this matters. The fact itself is not important, but what it reveals about how easy it is for us to make assumptions or presuppositions when we read God's word, that is huge. Because there's probably people listening to this who went into this already assuming, of course, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. We know it, it's clear in God's word. But if you've gotten to this point, you realize it's really not clear in God's word. It's not even really present in God's word. It's not even something that we can make a half assumption about. Instead, something that we have just assumed casually and naturally as biblical truth really just comes to us courtesy of one sermon from one pope in the sixth century. So what I hope people can walk away from with this isn't necessarily something to bicker about or argue about. I really hope no one listens to this and on Sunday if if a teacher or a pastor stands up and talks about Mary Magdalene the prostitute, don't use this as ammunition to feel superior or smarter or to, you know, be one of those nerdy people who pushes their glasses up their nose and says, "Um, well, actually, Mary Magdalene, no, don't use this for that." But instead, I want the takeaway to be that We need to be very careful and diligent when we study God's word. We need to realize how easily our assumptions are present in everything that we read. Because, as I said, I would assume that every single person that believes Mary Magdalene is a prostitute didn't get it because they opened up God's word and said, huh, here's a connection I can make. But instead, they heard it from the pulpit. They heard it from a parent, a friend, a book of some kind, whatever it is. And from there, that just became a part of their assumed truth. So really what this episode is about is encouraging people to separate what we've heard from what God's word says. Because as we see, if a teaching is repeated often enough over time, it's going to become an undeniable part of God's word, even if God's word doesn't really say it we see it with something innocent like mary magdalene but we can see it in big ways too in our culture the idea that god is love god wants you to be who you are god makes no mistakes in how he makes people and so you should just you know be true to yourself i mean our culture you know all our misunderstandings about god often come from a long time of people saying something and because people aren't going to God's word to compare it to be good students of the word but just make an assumption of oh that sounds right that sounds good we then read that into how we understand God how we read his word and then as we talk to people we keep repeating it and we become basically a part of the problem so what I want you to walk away with this isn't just understanding Mary Magdalene but you know maybe stop calling her a prostitute. Like, let's, let's be nice to a follower of Jesus Christ if we could. But really, feel called to be diligent in your study. And don't be satisfied to just take someone else's word about what God has revealed in the Bible. Obviously, sometimes we can't research everything. And so when a teacher that we trust says something, we take their word for it for now. But... Be careful not to let the word of a pastor, of a teacher, of some, you know, podcaster, don't let their word be your source of truth. Instead, let it lead you into God's word to see if what they are saying is true. And with that, be very careful not to just keep repeating a human tradition and presenting it as a timeless and biblical truth. Because sometimes those traditions or the things that teachers say are accurate. But sometimes it makes us spend over a thousand years falsely accusing another Christian of being a prostitute. And so I will leave you with a verse many of you who follow this podcast are probably familiar with, but one that is very relevant to what we've talked about today. And that is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com, where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others. Or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.